Okay, today we're going to have a look at the story of Jesus and the centurion. Jesus encountered, I think, a couple centurions in his life, but we're going to pick up the one in Matthew chapter 8. The story is echoed again in chapter 7, but we're going to look at the Matthew chapter 8 story. And have a look at some lessons in faith <clears throat> from this story, because right now there's just so much error, faith error, in the church. And I think that the story just speaks to us again, reminds us again about true faith, biblical faith. Most of the faith, in inverted commas, that we see in the church today is based on selfishness. It's based on the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Um, we don't have children's church today, but they're welcome to be there. Shumi. <coughs> We don't actually have a children's church, so we won't allow them out the door, see? but they're safe there. So most of our faith is based on name it and claim it, what you want you get, and it's all because of what you want. And that's not the faith of the Bible by any means. So let's have a look at the interaction with Jesus and the centurion, or at least those he sent. Matthew chapter 8. I read from verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. But a context, centurion would have been a Roman foreigner, an invader of the land of Israel. They had been taken over by the Romans, they were basically ruled by the Romans. They had uh, taken over their country, their lifestyle. They had tried to impose themselves upon them. They had put a semi-Jewish person in charge of them, but he was really favored towards the Romans anyway. So this is a Gentile. This is the enemy who comes to Jesus. My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I'll go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now this is the centurion that's in charge. This is the man of authority. Says to Jesus, Lord, I don't deserve you to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word and as we struggle with 
so many different voices of faith coming in to our brains at so many different angles. I pray that you just give us clarity, wisdom and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. If you read the passage in Luke's gospel, you might become distressed that there's a contradiction because Luke's gospel says that he sent people to Jesus. And there really isn't a contradiction. It's easily solved by either saying that uh, Matthew's account came after the Luke account, so maybe he sent people first and then, then he went himself. Or it could have been a simple case of like Solomon built the temple. Did Solomon actually physically build the temple? No, he arranged for the temple to be built. People often ask me, you know, did you build that? And I'll say, when I've put, done something, I'll say, well, sort of. <laughs> I instructed that it should be done. And really, it could have just been a case of that as well. So let's not get confused. There are no contradictions in Scripture. Everything can be easily explained. Okay. Now, the faith of this, of this centurion, to me, is incredible in the story. Centurions were men who had been in the military for probably about 15 to 20 years. They had earned their position by leading troops into the front line. They would have engaged many times in hand-to-hand -hand combat. One didn't become a leader of men or a centurion uh, simply because of who you, you knew. You became one because of your metal tested in the very throes of battle. A centurion, as the name mentioned, century, you know what a century is, a hundred years, he would have been in charge of at least a hundred men. Now for a first century reader, particularly those amongst Jewish readers, the Jewish uh, people, for them to read a story like this written by Matthew, the redemption of a Roman centurion or the, the, the way that Jesus accedes to his request would have been shocking. As I mentioned, this was a Gentile. This was a Roman soldier. This was an invader. He should have been the last of the people that Jesus trusted or the last of the people that would have even trusted Jesus. And similarly to the story that we looked at last week of the woman at the well, that woman who was a social outcast. She was a woman and she was a Samaritan. I mean, she had everything against her. Likewise, this Roman soldier, foreigner, invader, Gentile, had everything against him. Isn't it amazing how Jesus does these things to goad, perhaps, the people, you know, the people of the kingdom, you're going to be outside weeping and wailing and gnashing your teeth in darkness. And people from the east and west, rather, are going to come and sit and enjoy the feast. Roman centurions certainly would have been at home in the ways of power and authority, as we read in the, in the text. They were under the supreme authority of the emperor. Uh, carrying out the emperor's orders, and like, <clears throat> just as if you disobeyed the emperor, you would probably be put to death. If you disobeyed the centurion, you'd probably end up getting put to death. These were men of authority, and they wielded that authority. Talking about authority and politics, I thought I heard the story just yesterday or the day before about this politician, let's call him a South African politician, shall we? 
<laughs> this politician who's on a game show. <laughs> I love it. And the politician gets asked by the game master, the show master, <clears throat> for your final question today, what is three plus three? And the guy stands in, he thinks, eh, eh, four. And the game show master says, no, sorry, that's not four. And while he's trying to say, sorry, that's not the answer, the crowd starts chanting, give him a chance, give him a chance, give him a chance. It's kind of drowned out. So the show master says, okay, we'll give you a chance. Sir, what is three plus three? He says, uh, five. And the guy's about to strike out his gong and the audience starts cheering. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. So the guy, the showmaster says, okay, last chance now. Three plus three. And he says, uh, six. And as he's about to try and say, yes, you got the answer correct, the audience shouts out, give him a chance. Give him a chance. South Africa is not unique to our political situation. And we can look at our politicians and think, what a bunch of idiots. But you know who put them there? The audience that cheers. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. I'm hoping that next year, after 30 years, we will see some sort of changes happening in our country. Amen? <laughs> Give him a chance. That's all we shout. So this centurion understands Jesus is a man of great power, of great authority. But he has faith that Jesus, this Jesus about whom he's heard, has got authority to speak a word and his servant will be healed. It's astonishing because up to this point, there's no record in the scriptures at least of Jesus healing anyone remotely. There's no distance healing that's taken place that we have recorded. So he's going on the hearsay of the incredible power and authority that this man Jesus has. And he understands the principle here that perhaps nobody at that stage had got a grip of. This guy's got authority. And when he speaks, his word carries authority. So here's this in-charge Roman, who is a man of authority, who comes in submission to the one over whom he actually is supposed to have authority. He submits to Jesus because he recognizes something different there. Let's have a look at some lessons that we can draw now out of the story. The first one is this, an encouragement to all of us to follow the pattern of faith as we see in the Word of God. And not the pattern of faith we see espoused on our television sets or in our bookstores that are full of name it and claim it type faith that we sometimes struggle to understand. The centurion understood that Jesus was Lord of everything. Jesus was in charge of everything, including over every sickness, over every disease. He understood that this Jesus only needed to speak a word and his servant would be healed. 
that all authority was alone in Jesus. I'll tell you in case you don't know what the modern church has said. The modern church has said, authority is vested in human beings. And especially those who have extra anointings. Anointings. You can't find this in the Bible. But I know, I've seen, I've heard people who will go around and make sure that every person they can find lays their hands on them so they can get that person's anointing. It's not in the book. The Bible, my Bible tells me you, every person who is a blood-bought son of God, child of God, the Bible says you have an anointing from the Holy One. Every single born-again believer alive on this planet is as anointed as the next person. Don't be conned. All authority, you see, is in Jesus. Oh, if I could only get my person to that person. Oh, if I could only get this my sick loved one to that person. Oh, let me put my thousand rand check in and send it to that person. Maybe if they can lay their hands on it, that person's going to get better because that person's got the anointing. Don't succumb to the lies. I've been in meetings where the offering teaching is ten times longer than the actual word that's preached. Anybody else been in those kinds of meetings? You will sit for two hours and hear why you should take, why you're going to get blessed because you're going to give, and you hear 10 minutes of anything else from the Word of God. Don't be confused. Stick with the faith of the Scripture. All healing, all faith, all anything else is in one person, in one person alone. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore you go. We don't go on our authority. We don't go on our anointings. We don't go on our fame or prosperity or anything else. We go in the authority and on the name that is above every other name. Jesus. Amen. Faith is always based on the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Your translation might say the word of God. It depends which Greek body of Greek texts your Bible is translated from. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ or through the word of God. The centurion demonstrates this by saying in Matthew 8, 9, 8 verse 8, Just say the word. And my servant will be healed. He had heard. And he says to this person who he recognizes as the authority, just say the word. He told Jesus, all you need to do is speak. The centurion believed that his servant would be healed when that happened. He didn't need to see a manifestation of healing. He knew that when the word was spoken, it would come to pass. Jesus taught the same thing to his disciples in Mark chapter 11. One passage that's just taken so out of context so often. Jesus said, have faith in God, he answered. Have faith in God. Not in the televangelist, not in the anointing of X, Mr. XYZ, not in anything else. Never ever in my whole entire life heard or seen of one, one famous multi-million 
super wealthy, insanely, stinkingly rich tele-evangelist going into a hospital and praying for people and seeing them well. Never heard of it, never seen it. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Where is our faith in? God. Not in five steps to healing. Not in a book that I paid money for that this is how I work out my healing. It's have faith in God. It can't be simpler. My faith and my trust is in God and in God alone and in his word. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. I want to tell you that Jesus didn't mean this literally. He didn't do it himself. This was a common metaphor of that day, a rooter up of mountains. They spoke of a person who was, who was wise, especially of the rabbis and the teachers of the law would be spoken, if they were, ex if they were exceptional, would be spoken of as a rooter up of mountains. Obviously, Jesus didn't root up any mountains. In fact, he refused to do spectacular miracles for those who demanded it of him. His point is simply this, that if we sincerely trust in God and truly realize the unlimited power that's available through faith in him, we will see mighty things at work. That's it. Have faith in God. Luke 1, 37, for nothing is impossible with God, not people. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've already received it, Jesus said, and it will be yours. <sighs> this isn't about what we want. It's not what we demand. It's not about name it and claim it. Jesus taught us to pray when his disciples asked. This then is how you should pray. Your kingdom come. Your, your will be done. I've heard preachers say, I refuse to pray. Lord, heal the sick person if, if it's your will, because it's always your will. Since when did you become God? His word, his model prayer that he taught us to pray was your will be done. And that's what we pray every time. We pray his will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, based upon his will, believe that you've already received it and will be yours. He's emphasizing the fact that we trust in God, that we're believing in God, that our faith is in God. It's not in the seven steps to healing or the five ways to whatever it is. It's faith in God. Some of us have to unlearn, and I include myself, some of the things that we've read and we've believed and we've been taught. It's all about what he wants. Doesn't mean we don't believe for healing, no. Doesn't mean we don't believe for those things that we desire, no. Doesn't mean we don't do that. But we know that all of those things are subject to the will of the one in whom all authority in heaven and earth is vested. By faith we believe, then we see. We don't see and then we don't believe after we see. It's not what we can do, but it's based upon what he can do and what he says. 
So this morning, my encouragement to do things according to the pattern of faith in the Scripture is not that you stop praying. It's that you keep praying, that you keep believing, that you keep trusting for those impossible things, whatever they are. But my faith is in God. It's not in what somebody said. It's in His Word. It's not in what somebody said. And it's in His will. It's not based upon the lust of my eyes, the desire of my flesh, or the pride of my life. The centurion understood this when he said, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. He didn't have to see anything remarkable. In fact, he didn't even need Jesus to come to his home. He came to Jesus for one thing, his word. Can't tell you how many people I've spoken to went to this or that famous person's healing crusade. And people that I respect that I, I would view as mature believers, and they come back and say, yeah, I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. I've had friends, friends who have died, who were dragged to places with their, with their family just to go to that person or that person, laying down on a stretcher, hoping that that person will walk past. Where's your faith? In that person? In the four hours of music that happens before they start preaching and another two hours of teaching on offering as to why you should give enough so you can be healed. And then, you know, somebody walking around and... No, no, come friends, come. Let's, let's grow up. Let's find out what the Bible pattern of faith is. It's about Him. It's about His Word. That's where it starts and that's where it is. Jesus, just speak the word. Some of you probably think, oh, if only I could get so-and-so to come and lay hands on this person. Then they, no, 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 no. Just see what the centurion did. A Gentile, non-believing person understood the authority of Christ's word and who he is. You can pray wherever you are. Believe the impossible for whatever in whoever situation. And some of you are sitting in things that you think you will never get out of. I'm in one of those situations in a family, family thing. But I'm telling you something. There is nothing impossible with our God. And you don't have to go to anyone. And you don't have to see anyone. And you don't have to pay anybody. You've just got to look to the one who owns the universe, who created the universe, and who sustains the universe. Why bother with people when you can deal with God? Amen. It does involve us learning to receive the word of God, and that's lesson number two. I think the centurion did this without really realizing it. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, the centurion came and asking for help. Lord, my servant lies at home. The only reason the centurion would come to Jesus is because he had heard of him. He had heard the word about him and he believed in him. He believed that he was able to heal the sick and deliver people. And the only way that he could have come to this conclusion is if he first heard of the things that Jesus had done. So how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing <laughs> and hearing by the message or the word of God, Christ. That's it. John chapter 8, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it 
forever. Are you a son? You're a son forever. Worried about losing your salvation? You are a son forever. If you're a son, you're a son forever. Amen? Amen. You're not a son if you're a slave to sin. <laughs> a slave has got no permanent place in the family. You might have had a place in the family. You might have thought you had a place in the family. But you're not a, sin, a son if you keep on sinning. Right? A son belongs to it forever. And then he says, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're ready to kill me. Jesus talking to the religious leaders. Why? Why did they want to kill him? Because you have no room for my word. They would not receive his word. We are so much like those those scribes and teachers, the Pharisees and the people who are anti-Jesus. We just like them. We don't want to hear his word. We want to hear the word that suits us, that tickles our flesh, that makes us healthy and wealthy and prosperous in all things. That's the word that we want. We want the word that's preached to us that says there is no sickness and there is no bad times and you never have troubles and you are an overcomer uh, over all things. And That's not the word of the scripture. Jesus tells me, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart. Yes, we are more than overcomers because he has overcome. Not because we have become wealthy or healthy or anything else. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, he says, and you do not and you do what you have heard from your father. And he's replying, he goes on to talk about their father, the devil, who only speaks lies. And that's the challenge we all have every day. Am I going to believe and receive his word? Or am I going to believe and re or receive the word of religion or of man or of society or of anything else? And it, it involves every aspect of our beings. I mean, this whole transgender thing. The whole gay agenda, the whole rain, rainbow clan, rainbow people, or whatever you call them. You know. It's either do I believe his word or do I just believe the word of society and find logic to try and explain away whatever's going on. It's either his way or it's no way. And this requires knowing what that word says. It requires meditating, chewing on it, receiving it, believing it. Is that what his word says? Then that's what I do. Romans 3, uh, Romans, Revelation 3, Jesus writes to the angel of the church in Philadelphia and he says, these are the words of him. These are the words of him. These are the words of him who is holy and true, holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And then he says this, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Church, listen to me. We are living in a time, and maybe it hasn't got here as quickly as it's permeated the states and Canada and Australia and these other so-called Western nations. 
but the, the agenda of what's happening with transgenderism, where they are now talking about young children, I'm talking about three and four and five years old, being allowed to be transgendered, where young girls of 12 years old are having their breasts cut off, young boys of 12 are having their genitals mutilated because they so-called identify as an opposite gender. When my Bible tells me male and female, he created them. You are going to be faced with these challenges more and more and more. I'm so glad I live in Africa because at least here we have a little bit of sensibility when it comes to what's a man and what's a woman. But the Lord spoke to the church at, at Philadelphia that time to say, I know you have little strength, that you've kept my word, and have not denied my name. The time is coming where for all of us, we are going to have to stand up and let our little light shine when everybody else is trying to put them out, where we keep his word and we don't deny his name. Isaiah 62 says, Has not my hand made all these things? Uh, who, who, who made everything? Who made the little flowers? Who made the birds? Who made the people? Who made the fish? You guys are the smartest guys in this whole place. Well done. Has not my hand made all these things? And they came, so they came into being, declares the Lord. And then he says, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and believes in evolution. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. He's saying, has not my hand, my hand made all these things? This is the one I esteem. He who's humble, contrite in spirit, and but trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. What has his word just said? He made all things. What has my word said? Just speak the word and you, he will be healed. What has my word said? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. What does the word say? Male and female, he created them. We need to start again to tremble at his word. Last little lesson. Okay, we need to receive the seed of faith, the word of God, and to value it above the word of man. We are being onslaughted by the word of man more, 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 and we're going to have to stand up more, 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 more. Last lesson about faith. Understand the authority of that word, and I know we've spoken about some of these things. Already Notice how the centurion connected the spoken word with the authority that was backing it. So this isn't just about speaking. Name it and claim it. Whatever you want, say it and you'll get it. Because that's what some people teach. Some church people teach that. The rich church people teach that. The people on TV most often, very often teach that. You just name it and you claim it, it's yours. A word spoken can only carry weight if it has authority supporting it. Jesus said, uh, the centurion says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. It's not just about saying the word. It's about Jesus who carries the authority 
saying the word. And then the healing came. I myself am a man under authority. Tell this one, go, he goes, come, go. So he understood the whole concept of authority. The authority was not rooted in anyone else. The authority was not rooted in the emperor of Rome. The authority was not rooted in the centurion. The centurion understood the authority was rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus' words had authority, he was going to tap into that. He heard about it and he knew it was possible because he had heard. Psalm 107 says he sent forth his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Aren't you grateful for rescue from the grave? Aren't you grateful that your diseases have been healed? I mean, sin is a condition, a sickness that no man can heal. No physician, no doctor, no specialist, no amount of research. Nobody can heal sin like Jesus. He sent forth his word. Who is the word? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He sent forth Jesus, and he healed my disease. Thank you, Lord. That's where it starts. Proverbs 4 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them in your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Listen to what he says, for therein is your life. Jeremiah 1, the Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching over my word. I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. God watches over his word. Jeremiah 23, 29, He's not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Friends, we need to understand the word's authority. And its authority is based upon the one who spoke it. Always, every time. So as I pray for my loved ones, as I pray for those who are sick, as I pray for those who are in need, as I pray for these situations that there just seems to be no resolve to, I pray based upon his word, knowing that the authority in that word is based in the one in whom all authority rests, Jesus Christ. Not a government, not a bank, not an institution, not a school principal or anything else. It's based upon him and him alone. Amen. Follow the pattern of faith in the word of God. Let's relearn, unlearn. Let's learn the Bible kind of faith and not walk around. <sighs> Recently when I was ill, I had somebody come and pray for me. And this person said, I command. I command your illness to go. And I thought, Lord, don't listen to them. I'd rather you command it. <laughs> I didn't say anything, and I wasn't critical, but that's what I thought. Lord, I don't, I don't want their authority. I want your authority. You heal me. You touch me. Grateful for prayers. Grateful for prayers. I need lots and lots. I need more prayer than all of you need put together. Me. <laughs> you 
Lesson number two, learn to receive the word and understand that word's authority. Amen. So all of you faithful people out there, how many of you now really cross with me? Because you can't get that new Jaguar you were praying for? (laughs) Maybe you can. If it's his will. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Nothing wrong with being super wealthy. Nothing wrong with being obscenely wealthy. But you make sure that the wealth God has given you, you use to the glory of his name.